I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to the book of James. We're continuing in our study that we have entitled Get Wise. James, the New Testament book of wisdom, very similar to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, is all about helping us as believers know how we are to do life or live life in God's way. Another way of putting that is how do we live in light of the good news that we have heard through Jesus Christ? And for Christians, we need to ask this. And, you know, there's a lot of, of people that can, through reductionistic and simplistic thinking, think, I've heard the gospel of Jesus, I believe the gospel of Jesus, and that is enough. I don't have to really learn or grow anymore. Now, I know that's not you guys that are here with us or listening to us on the recording, but we want to encourage you to recognize that the life that God has called us to live is richer, deeper, fuller bigger, more amazing than that which is found just simply at the entry point to the gospel, but rather that the good news of Jesus affects us not simply when we begin to believe the gospel, but throughout our lives as it changes each of us. We're going to be reading from James chapter 1 verses 21 through verse 27. We're really going to kind of skip over verse 26 today. You can follow along using the YouVersion app, the Uh, hit events, then more, and and pull all of that up, or of course follow along on the paper notes as well, uh, so you could do that. Before uh, I dive into today's passage, um, part of living life with wisdom requires that we know how to respond to the moments that God has called us to live in. And so let me just encourage you, uh, given the moment in time in which we find ourselves with the the Supreme Court ruling uh, that came out this week regarding Roe versus Wade and it's being removed uh, as law of the land, go to the RBC Facebook page. You will find on the RBC Facebook page multiple articles and resources to help you think wisely, carefully, and lovingly about the issues that are going to be more and more prominently uh, in the lives of believers in light of this changed Supreme Court ruling. So go there, read those articles. We'll could try and continue to keep that a place where you can get more and more resources and, and biblical wisdom on how to live uh, in light of this particular time and moment that God has providentially given us. So, would you join me as we read together from James chapter 1. We pick up with verse 21, where we ended a couple of weeks ago, and we'll read through verse 27. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is God's holy, inerrant, and eternal word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. Godly wisdom, knowing how to do life God's way, requires at least four things that we see in this passage. Now, they're not new if you've been paying attention to the series. In fact, I would remind you that James repeats themes and principles over and over again, sort of like cascading waves writing out different topics that he wants to address. So today, we're going to start with a principle we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and that is that godly wisdom requires that we receive something. And the way I want you to think about it today is receiving good news. But we're not just to receive the good news. James says we are to enact the good news, and then we are to remember the good news, and find ourselves sort of parked and living in the good news. So that will be the four themes we'll look at today. Receiving good news, enacting good news, remembering good news, and living within and in the good news. All right? So go to verse 21, and you'll see there that James says, Put away all filthiness... And rampant wickedness. There is something that happens when a person hears the story of Jesus Christ that should cause them to flee and want to put away their old evil lives. They can't meet the holy, perfect man, God of Nazareth, and say, I don't want to be like him. I want to stay in my old way of living. That's not the way people encounter Jesus. Right? They might run away, but say they're not going to follow him. But if they were going to follow him, they wanted to be like him. So James says, put away all this filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then he says, and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Right? Well, what is this word that Christians have received? It's, it's God's word, right? God speaking this word that he wants to plant in our lives. What, what Paul would write to the Colossians and call the word of Christ needs to do something in your life. It needs to set up shop or dwell in you richly. Paul said that the word of God is to come into all of these areas of your life, the way you think, the way you act, the way you make choices and the decisions, your will and your desires, your emotions... And it's to set up house and shop there and control all of it. It's to dwell in you, not simply in some small measure, but Paul said dwell in you richly. 
So he's saying the same thing that James is saying. Receive the word of God. And it's a good word. It's a good news word. Because God's word is living. The picture that James has is of a seed being dropped into a ground. Now a seed may look inert. It may look like it's, it's not alive, but given the soil and water and the light and the oxygen and minerals that it is, what happens to that seed? There's life in there, right? And God's Word is living, according to the author of Hebrews. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, And it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God that we take into our lives is not some dead word. It's a life-giving word that is alive and cutting into our inmost being. It's cutting through all the layers of hypocrisy and pretension and all the ways that we try and act like we don't need God. God's word comes to us and it, it, it... and penetrates deep inside us and like a seed begins to push out life into all of the rest of our lives, even into the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And that means that this word that we receive is a useful word. It's a word that we can use in all of life. Paul would write to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It's useful word. It's profitable is another way it's put. It's, it has a benefit to your life. It's not some, some piece of news that means nothing to you. Now, I don't know, but given my crowd that I have this morning, I suspect if I told you who won the Paris Saint-Germain uh, soccer match this last weekend, none of you would care, right? But there are lots of people that would matter to. They're very, very, very big uh, global soccer fans, right? And that matters to them. But the Word of God is never like that. It's never useless to you. It always, according to Paul, is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and most importantly, for training you and me in righteousness. How to live. How to live God's way. That's another way of thinking about righteousness. So that the man or woman of God could be complete, equipped for every good work. Now I want you guys to think about that phrase because we're going to get there in just a second. You may feel like you don't know what the right thing to do in any situation is or what you ought to do. But scripture says, no, no, the way the word of God works, when he penetrates your life, he trains you not simply to not do the bad things. He trains you how to do all the good that he wants you to do, which means this. The word that we receive isn't supposed to stay like a shell inside our lives, but rather Rather, it is to spring up into a healthy plant and bear fruit, right? One of the the most well-known parables of Jesus, you can find it in several places in the Gospels, but you can find it in Luke chapter 8. Jesus tells a story about a sower who goes out to sow seed. In verse 8 of Luke 8, he says that some of that seed fell into good soil and the seed grew and then yielded a hundredfold. And then he said, listen, listen to me. 
He says, if you've been given ears to hear what God is saying to you through this story, you should hear it. It's very important. And then in verse 11, he says, here's what the parable means. The seed is the word of God. And the seed that lands in the good soil is those who hearing the word, hold the word, they grip the word, they hold it fast, right? In an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience, or the word might be perseverance, with continuance in it. Here's what you and I should get. God's word, living and active, is something we choose to receive And then it is intended to bear fruit and be multiplied out and in through our lives. You've never heard a command of God, a prohibition of God, a testimony of God that was not intended by God Himself to bear fruit in your life. And that is true whether or not the intentions of the preacher who proclaimed it were good and perfect... It's true whether or not you liked the word that when the, you heard it. It's, not, it's true whether or not you were entertained or amused by it. Not once have you ever, ever come across Scripture in a writing or a teaching that is from God's holy word that God did not intend that word to come alive inside you. We're to receive that reality. Here's why. Because this word is good news. James says you receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Right? This word is not an inert word. It's a life-giving word. It takes you from death into life. It's God's saving word. Paul wrote Timothy and he said, Timothy, listen to this. From the time you were a child, you have known the sacred writings. Now, I praise God. When I was a little kid, my mother, raising me in a foreign country, uh, knew that I was probably only getting, you know, a quarter of the information that I would normally get from a Sunday school class because my, my language and the culture was so different. My mother established a, a Bible club on Monday afternoons for children who were international students so that they could be taught the Word of God. Long before I believed in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I was being instructed in the Scriptures. And then I praise God for a woman named Catherine Walker who set up a camp for missionary children to be instructed in the Word of God and to receive it. And we had to memorize scriptures and we got prizes if we did. And we were taught how to do Bible drills and how to use and open up God's Word and memorize God's Word. To this day, the reason I can open up my Bible at any point to any passage of scripture literally in under 20 seconds is because I was taught how to do that as a seven-year-old child. And Paul said, Timothy, from your childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Word of God is intended to lead you to encounter God's eternal plan. A loving Father 
who created all that is good in creation, including man and woman, to watch them fall into sin, but who enacted an eternal plan of redemption to send forth from the seed of Adam and Eve, one who would become the Savior of this world, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ who would live a perfect life that we could not have lived, to live fully in obedience to God's commands that He had revealed to Moses and the children of Israel when He brought them into the land, to be the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets, to be the true and perfect King, to reign over God's people then and forever. That Jesus Christ went to the cross, died an atoning death for our sins, so that if anyone would believe that He's God's perfect payment substitute so that we can have an eternal relationship with God, they might, like him, be raised from the grave and be given eternal life. Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Your Bible is not 66 separate books. It is one book, one story, Genesis to Revelation in 66 chapters that tell you who Jesus is, what He has done, and where all of creation is headed and how you can have a relationship with Him now and forever. So, what do you do with the greatest story ever told. You can reject it. You can ignore it. You can say it's amusing and entertaining and on the par of so many other stories. Or you can receive it. Right? Believing in this. And when you do that, you receive good news. Now, James says... That's where the Christian life begins. Now you know how to begin to live a wise life by bringing your life into right, reconciled relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But you don't just receive the good news. You must enact it. You've got to do something with the good news. So, keep reading. James 1.22 But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just hear the word, you've got to do it. That means that we as Christians are called to do what God has commanded us to do. Right? In both its positive and negative affirmations, the Christian has not moved past the law of God, but has come empowered to do the law of God. Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that's a a small little mark in the Greek language, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Jesus goes on to say, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whenever people say foolish things to you like, well, that's an Old Testament law, and they're not talking about... 
about the Levitical sacrificial code fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but the moral law of God. So, well, it, you know, it's Old Testament to say don't commit adultery or don't covet or whatever. I, I don't know why nobody ever thinks don't murder is an Old Testament code. You know, then we, you know, people get that one, right? You know, but, but Jesus is saying if you relax one of the least of these commandments... You're least in the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say uh, that whoever teaches and does the law will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we're called to do the commandments. As believers, encountering the good news of Jesus, we are now free by God's grace to do all that God has commanded us. And that most certainly includes not simply doing the jot and tittle of the law, but to go beyond the law into doing greater works of justice and mercy, what the Bible calls good works. In one of the most famous passages in the New Testament that talks about how we can't earn our way into heaven, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we are instructed that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and neither the grace nor the faith are of ourselves. They are not a result of the works that we have done. You can't earn God's favor. None of us are good enough to earn our way into heaven. None of us has perfectly fulfilled the law of God. None of us has loved God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved our neighbors as ourselves perfectly. That's not possible, but Jesus has. So we don't earn our way into heaven. But we sell ourselves short if we stop in Ephesians 2.9. Because it doesn't stop there, folks. You've got to read Ephesians 2.10. Don't memorize Ephesians 2.8 and 9 and not remember, memorize Ephesians 2.10. So it says this. In 2.9, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Praise God. I can't earn my salvation. 2.10. For we are his workmanship, his poema, his craft, his masterwork. The thing that he spent all of the resources and energy of time and eternity that have been placed on God's eternal plan. All of them have been done to create you and me into masterpieces of God's grace created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I've told you this before. You and I have never woken up on any given day where God didn't have a plan for our day. Ever. You and I may wake up with no plans, but God has never let us wake up without Him having a plan. And that plan included good works for us to do on that day. There are people that only you can love. There are people that only you can give words of grace to. There are people that only you are going to pray for. There are people that only you can minister to in the name of Jesus. So we're called to do the commandments, do good works, do that which is loving. The overflow of the freedom that has been given to us in the gospel is not a freedom to spend more of the life doing what we want selfishly, self-centeredly. No, the freedom that God has given us 
is for us to love and serve others. Paul wrote this to the Galatians. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, that's where you stand religiously before you encounter the good news of Jesus, it doesn't count for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. The faith, the truth that you believe in Jesus must have an outworking and it shows up in love. He goes on to write in Galatians 5.13, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So what are you and I to do with the word? We're to do the commandments. We're to do good works. We're to do that which is loving. We're to do justice and mercy. James says, the kind of religion that is pure before God and undefiled isn't full of sacrifices. It's not full of, he picks up the Old Testament uh, prophetic theme where God says, I'm tired of your sacrifices. I'm tired of your empty religious rituals. He says, no, the religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep yourself unstained from the world by worldly philosophies and values. There's a care for the oppressed and the weak. So that's picking up things like Isaiah 1, 16 through 17, where God says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. This is why Christians stand against evil laws and for the protection of the lives of children that are not yet born. This is why we stand against racial injustice in our land and against the sins of racism because we seek to protect the vulnerable in our land. This is why we advocate for the immigrants and not against the immigrants. Because the gospel is full of all those truths. Do that which is just. Seek out the weak, the hurting, and the vulnerable. And then we're to do discipleship. Now, I've got a new little phrase for you I want to try out today. You guys can pass this on to all the people that weren't here, all right? Here you go. It is. It's really tough. A, B, D. Not A, B, C. Don't get confused. A, B, D. Now, if you've got the digital version of the notes, you know what that is. Always be discipling. Because everything that we're doing is not simply doing these good works in and through ourselves, but together as the people of God, we are being called by God to shape one another into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we do that through the process called discipleship. We do this to and through and for one another. Jesus has said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not make converts. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, not to think about, not to meditate on merely, but to actually do all that I have commanded you. And we need each other 
to keep ourselves from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and to be encouraged to love and good works, as the author of Hebrews says, right? So we are to be in the business of discipling one another into the image of Jesus. Now, what have we gone over? Doing the commandments, doing good works, doing that which is loving, doing that which is just and merciful, and doing discipleship, right? Does that seem like a lot? Here's good news for you. You're not responsible for doing all of it. That doesn't mean you aren't responsible to do some part of each of these things. But the weight of this is not on you. It is for you to do what you can and therefore what you know. You're going to see this principle throughout Scripture. James is going to put it this way in James 4, 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In other words, if you have an opportunity to do the right and just and careful and loving thing right in front of you, do that. There was a woman showed up the last week of Jesus' life. She didn't have anything that she could do to stop his crucifixion. She had heard his preaching. She understood she was a sinner. She cracks open a bottle of perfume and pours it all over her head and his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. And Jesus says she did what she could. She couldn't do all these other things. But she did what she could. And it was beautiful. Beautiful to Jesus. So, we need to understand our lives gain beauty when we do what we can. We may not be able to represent uh, uh, the way laws ought to be in our state or national legislatures. But you know what we can do? We can bring diapers and formula down to the Tree of Life Pregnancy Center right here in Paso Robles. That's what you can do. Right? You can volunteer. There are things you can do and are called to do and are gifted to do. And finally, let me encourage you before we move on to say this. Do this freely, for it is what you were made and remade for. James says this, and he uses a phrase in James 1 and James 2. He says this in James 2.12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Christians know that we will all be held to an account down to every careless word that we have spoken. But the judgment is not merely the Old Testament law, but rather a greater law, the law of liberty. We have been set free from the dominion of sin in our thought and in our will, and therefore we are called to be judged under this law of freedom. We've been set free from selfishness and self-centeredness and pride and selfish ambition. So, therefore, because for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm in the gospel and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, Paul would write to the Galatians. James says, persevere in the freedom that God has given you. He mentions this. Look at James 1.25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres in the freedom that God has given him, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, that person is blessed. Now we're going to come back to that last phrase there, all right? But the point is this. 
wake up realizing that God has set you free from all that inward bondage to self so that you are now free to live for Him. So we receive the good news, we enact the good news, and then we are called to remember the good news. Go to James 1.22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There are some people who love the knowledge of the Bible. I have met many of them as pastors. The shocking thing to me over and over again is that so often the people who are fascinated with the content and the structure of the Bible are so rarely the people interested in actually doing what it says. There are people who love doing Bible studies but who've never done an act of justice. They go from Bible study to Bible study. They love the content of it, but they never like actually enacting it. I've seen people who are gifted teachers who love teaching Bible studies, but never want to be in a discipling relationship with another believer. That's constant, actually. Because many people have lost touch with the reality that the Word of God is not a good idea. It's penetrating good news that should change us. James is saying, don't lose touch with reality. Don't fool yourself. He goes on, verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, this is what he's like. He's like a man who goes up to a mirror and peers in the mirror intently, maybe using one of those magnifying mirrors that shows you all your pores and and stray hairs and stuff and you look in it very very closely you look at yourself and you go away and at once you forget what you look like because you're busy thinking about something else and there's a lot of people who approach God's word this way they hear it being preached they study it in their quiet time or in a bible study and then they go away and their life is unchanged James says you're only fooling yourself Don't pick which parts of God's Word you get to choose to obey. This so often happens. There are people who want to enact God's Word regarding justice, but want nothing to do with what God's Word has to say about their personal sexuality. There are people who want to be morally upright, but want to ignore what God has told us about how we are to treat people from different ethnicities and different skin colors. We like to choose which part of God's Word we want to obey. I have seen this. Uh, Some of you that went to our Southern Baptist Convention, you saw this. Men who will stand up Sunday after Sunday preaching God's Word, but will get to a microphone and be incredibly unkind and unloving and act antithetically to the gospel. Despite the fact they've been told that they're nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal in that moment. Right? Don't pick which parts of God's word you choose to obey. James says, James 2.11, He who said don't commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you're still a transgressor of the law. You're not any better off because you didn't do that one sin, but you chose to do these other sins. Jesus makes it clear. We don't get to pretend that Jesus is our Lord if we won't obey him. Luke 6.46 records Jesus saying this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? How many people 
around the world would call Jesus Lord and not do what he tells them. Folks, I don't know if you understand this, but let me just explain a a, a shocking reality. In the last four years, the number of self-identifying evangelicals in the United States has grown tremendously, but it's not good news. Because the number of people actually attending church hasn't grown. Actually, it's decreased. The number of people who are reading the Bible each week has decreased. The morality of the land has decreased, but there's a number of people calling themselves Christians. But what they mean is they are part of right-wing political organizations in the United States, and they're choosing to co-opt the title evangelical and say they're followers of Jesus Christ when their attitudes and their actions are antithetical to the good news of Jesus. It is not something to celebrate. Obedience reveals whether or not we are part of God's family. Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and don't think it's a good idea or a truth for them, but not for somebody else. No, they're the people who hear the word of God and they enact it. They do the word. Obedience reveals who we are following. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide and stay in my word, that means you do it, not just that you think about it a lot, you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Is it possible, as Jesus also says in John 7, that you don't actually know the truth of what Jesus has said because you're refusing from the outset to do it? You've already decided there are things you will not do or will not lay down or will not obey Jesus in. And therefore, you've already decided what the truth is, setting yourself above the law and the Word of God. You've determined beforehand whether or not you're going to obey. Jesus says you'll never know the truth. You will not know the truth. Because you don't want the truth You want to decide, and therefore you want to be God. James says, don't believe there are no consequences for where you invest your life. He's speaking so sincerely when he says, listen, you're only fooling yourself. Paul wrote to the Galatians similarly. He says, do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. God can't be mocked. Whatever you sow into, whatever you invest your life in, you will reap from that. If you sow to violence, you will reap violence. If you sow to hatred, you will reap hatred. If you sow to judgment and condemnation, you will receive condemnation. If you sow to mercy and love and grace and goodness, guess what you receive? mercy and love and grace and goodness Jesus said this not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven now I know that none of us does this perfectly but we need to let the weight of passages like Romans 2.13 sit on us it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God but the doers of the law who will be justified. Jesus has paid the price, brought us into a relationship with Him, not so that we can be perpetually disobedient. 
But through repentance and growing in grace and being strengthened by the work of the Spirit, we enact the very good news that we have received. So, we receive this good news, we enact this good news, and we remember this good news, not forgetting it. And then we live in it. We live in it. Go to James 1.25. But the one who looks into the perfect law... The law of liberty, this is the gospel. This is James's way of code-wording the gospel. He says, you want a new law? It's a law that sets you free from all that you couldn't be set free from before. That law, look into it, persevere in it. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, you will be blessed in your doing. Do you want to live a blessed life? You know, I was praying this morning, driving over here. There are certain things I'm praying for our church on our anniversary. I'm praying for God's blessing. I know, without the blessing of God, we have no hope. We need the blessing of God. And the Bible teaches us that there are blessings that come to those who are obedient. You don't earn your salvation, but brothers and sisters, can I encourage you to realize this reality? There are blessings that Christians never receive because they will not do what God has told them to do. Many believers have never experienced the blessing of watching someone profess faith in Jesus Christ because they've never spoken the gospel to a person. They're missing out on a blessing. Oh, can you think of anything better than saying to a newly minted brother or sister, welcome to the feast, welcome to the family. I'm going to be with you forever. But we miss that blessing Because we won't open our mouths. Right? There is a blessing that comes to a God-connected life. As Jesus was going through His ministry and teaching, a woman in the crowd around Him raised her voice and said to Him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. She's like, oh, how great it must have been to be your mother. That's what she's saying. Jesus says, no, you want to know who's, who's really great, who's really blessed? Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. There's a blessing that comes to the life of a Christian who commits themselves to obedience to the Word of God. And this is not a blessing about exalting yourself. This is a blessing of serving others. There's the blessing of a servant-filled life. Let me ask you something. Who's the most blessed person that ever lived? Was it David with his great armies? Solomon with all his wealth and wisdom? Was it Moses getting to see the, the backside of God's glory and experiencing the power of God on the mountain? Was it Isaiah lifted up into the throne room of God himself for a few minutes? Are those the most blessed men who have ever lived? No. The most blessed man who has ever lived, although each of those men served their people, the most blessed man was the most servant-hearted man who ever lived, and his name was Jesus Christ. 
And on the night he was betrayed, he said this to his disciples, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, if you know you ought to be serving one another, blessed are you if you do them. Where's the blessing? It's not found in exalting yourself. It's not found in getting your own way. The blessing comes in serving other people. Jesus would go on to say that this blessing is a blessing of a stable life. James has warned us about people who are tossed to and fro by the circumstances of life. What if you could have illness? What if tragedies could happen to you and you don't get knocked off your pedestal? Jesus would say in his parable about the men who build two different kinds of houses in Matthew 7. He says, There are some people who hear the words of mine, and they are like wise people who build their houses on the rock. The storms will come, the floods will rise up, the rains will come down, the winds will blow, everything will come against that house, but it won't fall because it's been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Right? Do you want to have the blessing of a stable life? What James has called the blessing of a wise life. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is it? Who's got real wisdom? Is it a person that that has five PhDs? Is it a person that's got all these different degrees? A person who has memorized giant sections of Scripture? Now, maybe, maybe. There's nothing wrong with those things. But James says, if you're truly wise, by your good conduct, show your works in the humility of wisdom. Who's truly wise? The person who actually does the part of the Bible they know. Right? But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. Brothers and sisters, what I'm saying to you is this, that James wants you to experience the blessing of a thriving life. He wants you to live in the midst of God's blessing. He's saying... The same thing the psalmist says. Psalms chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's the blessing we should be pursuing. So let's pray that God will enable us to receive this good news, enact it, remember it, and live in it that we might experience his blessing. Oh, Father, grant us the courage, wisdom, and insight we need to encounter the truth of the gospel with power, with faith. We need to come before you in humility. 
And God, we need you to sink that word so deeply in us that we can't forget it. We need to be changed by it. And we ask for hearts and minds and wills that are receptive to your word and that we might remember and stay in that good news of what you've done for us and then be changed that we might do all that you have called us. For we are coming before you as individuals and as a church, crying out to you and asking for your blessing. And like Jacob, we cling to you and say, we will not let you go until you bless us. And we would be audacious to come before you were we not invited by your son Jesus. Because of his work and the hope that we have in him, we ask these things. Amen.